And if I haven't met you before, I would love to meet you. Uh, sometimes it's really easy to just stay like in that section of the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. For me, and I'm guessing for all of us, and if our goal and our hope here is to be family, as we're going to look in this passage that we're diving into this week, like I know I just got to get the heck out of my seat. Um, and and get to know people that I don't know, ask them their name, even when it's awkward and I forget it the next second, um, and ask them again. And so, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to dive into as we uh, jump into the end of 2 Timothy. If you're just joining us, um, we were in 1 Timothy, uh, dove into 2 Timothy now, and this is our last week there. So feel free to turn to chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 9. And last week... um, Gary shared with us uh, that, well, throughout all of Second Timothy, um, Paul has been really charging um, uh, Timothy to live a life filled with the gospel, a life filled with good teaching, um, a life that's filled with good theology. And Gary pointed out that that that's to be rid of all myths too, like any myths about the gospel or 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 um, or things that people may try to add to the gospel to to be rid of those things and stay true to the true message um, that Jesus has brought us through the gospel. Um, Paul also is acknowledging in this last section we just read that the end for him is near. He's now in prison for a second time, uh, and he knows that he's not getting out of prison. He knows that while he's in prison here in Rome, that his life will come to its end. And, and Gary gave us the illustration um, by rewording how, how um, the text actually reads, um, the good fight I have fought, the race I have finished, the faith I have kept. That uh, while, t- while Paul may have not won the race or, or won the fight, that in the midst of the fight, in the midst of the race, he's kept the faith, and now he's passing the baton off to Timothy to continue running the race that he ran as well. Um, and something so awesome that we see here is Paul, whether he, he thinks that he has a week left to live or if he has months left to live, like he is doing everything he can to disciple Timothy down to the last second of his life to pour out anything that he may have to um, to affirm, to encourage, to uh, impart to um, his friend and who he refers to as my son in the faith, Timothy. And so as we dive into this text, uh, it's super important. Like while this is scripture, right? This is God's um, word, God breathed to us. Um, that this is a man who has emotions, who has feelings, uh, and he knows his life is is near its end. The first one to read this was most likely Timothy. So as we read it too, if we can read it through the lens that Timothy may have, that this may be the last letter he's receiving from Paul as well. And this is the last scripture that we have um, from Paul, the last writings that, that are in the Bible that we have from him. So kind of take all the weight of some of those things as we read this passage together, starting in verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent to Caicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. 
you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. So many fun names. We're about to get better. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. Thanks, Claudia, for having a normal name. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. How about we pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help as we understand um, these scriptures. Jesus, you are good in all circumstances, and God, we are we're here in this place this morning, whether we know it or not, hopefully to be made more into your likeness. Jesus, we come before you asking you for your help, both to understand, but, but not just to simply conceptualize what you are saying here, or what you had for us here, um, but for our, lives, our, our life to look different, um, walking out of this place. And that is only done by your Holy Spirit. So, Spirit, I ask you for your help that you would help me teach, that you would have things fall away that need to fall away, and that you would have stick what needs to stick. And God, that you would be glorified. Um, thank you for my brothers and sisters here, uh, for new people that are here. And Lord, we give you this time um, for it to be yours and for you to have your way in us. In your name, amen. All right. So I'm going to... Um, kind of be jumping around, like not in order uh, of these verses, because I've kind of like grouped um, some similarities and some, um, some things that I've seen that are in common with one another. But throughout our time in Timothy, right, we've seen Paul, like he's encouraged him in how a church should be run, um, how it should go in First Timothy. He's also just bestowed all this theology, good, correct theology. He's made sure he knows what the true gospel is. He's encouraged him in who he is in ministry to be bold, um, for them to not look down on him for his youth. And he's continued to pour out all as, as much knowledge as he has to raise, continue to raise up um, this young guy that he walked with for a time. But now as he concludes the second letter, we almost see it kind of like shift, right? That we don't see this like crazy, like deep theological teaching or this, this really good like structure of a church. What we see Paul doing is he's listing person after person. He's listing relationship after relationship that he has with these seemingly kind of random people, Gary, about like a month or two ago, uh, shared with us going through Timothy that, that as followers of Jesus, we are to own the gospel, and the gospel is to own us. That while, like, as, as I respond to the gospel, this good news about Jesus, and if you're here and you're like, I have no idea, like, what the gospel is, well, up on our wall right there, that's why we have those pictures that maybe we haven't uh, addressed in quite a while, but it, 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 it illustrates that God created us to be with him, our sins separate us from God. 
my eyes are getting bad. Sins cannot be removed um, by good deeds. Um, and then Jesus paying the price for our sins, like took that to the cross. Um, and then through his resurrection, like he has adopted us into his family so that we may have life starting now and forevermore. If you ever have questions about what the gospel is, because that's like short version, right? The gospel is bigger, grander than we could ever make it out to be standing up front here. We would love to talk to you more about what the gospel is and what it means, but simply it is this good news about Jesus. Um, But we don't see um, Paul necessarily diving into the theology behind the gospel, but what he's talking about here with Timothy is showing like if the gospel truly is what you own, and that it owns your life, that you let the gospel seep into every crack of your being, you're going to have gospel-filled and gospel-centered relationships as well. That the gospel doesn't just simply penetrate our mind and our hearts, and then we sit and meditate, or we believe, or we grow in our knowledge, but that actually the gospel is something to be lived out with people. And if we try to separate the two, we actually don't get the gospel very well. Because that's even what God did with us through Jesus is to come and be among, to live out this good news with us um, and to show us what it would look like. And so we're going to dive into some of these relationships that Paul maybe even like offhandedly talks about or, or refers to and look at where is the gospel saturating that relationship? Where is this filled with the good news about Jesus? So starting in verse 9, he says, Timothy, come join me soon. Like as quickly as you can, come to where I am at. And it'd be one thing if Paul just wants like maybe a face-to-face. He's like his hands cramping up a lot. And he's like, Timothy, I just need to give you some more of this like instruction face-to-face. And I think maybe that's part of it, right? But he's been in prison for a while now. And as he's about to state, he says, Everyone else pretty much has deserted me. And I think with his good friend Timothy, someone he refers to as a son in the faith, that his relationship goes so much deeper than just mentor and pupil, that it goes so much deeper than just friendship, that it goes down to being family, to being like a father to him, and him being like a son to him. He just wants Timothy to come and be with him to share in this relationship that they've had for years together, to have someone that he knows right when they walk into the room, Timothy gets him, right? He gets his ministry. He gets what Paul is all about. He knows Timothy is someone that's praying for him. And, uh, man, it made me think about it. I'm going to ask questions along the way for us, not just as rhetorical, but for us to actually think about and to process, like, do we long for relationships like that? Like, do we long for friendships that go deeper than just having things in common or being able to do fun activities together or even, like, loving each other pretty well? But do we long for these people who are partners in gospel work? Do we long for these people that just know us and get us completely, that we could talk about ministry, we could talk about having a bad day, um, whatever the case may be, and, and, and they're people that we've poured into, they've poured into us in return. Do we long for our relationships to go to that depth and that level? Because gospel relationships, when the gospel saturates how we live out with friends, like it turns us as brothers and sisters in Christ actually to family. Like we don't just say brothers and sisters because 
It's like slang or something like that. Like God has said, like, I am your father and you're my family. You're my kids. Treat each other as such. Maybe not like your kids um, or like me and my sister, but like how I say it's good, right? For you to truly see each other as brother and sister, to have that affection for one another. To close the letter, um, in verses 19 through 21, Paul um, uh, sends greetings from certain people to Timothy, and then he, and in return, he says, "Will you greet these people for me too, Timothy?" He lists um, people like Priscilla and Aquila, who we hear about in Acts, and the household uh, household of Onesiphorus um, and others. I'm not going to try to say the names, or my tongue's going to get too tied. Um, but this may seemingly be just like an outro of a letter that doesn't carry much weight. Um, and maybe even something I know for me in the past, I've just skipped over uh, in, in reading um, reading this book and other letters that, that Paul has, has written as well. But what this shows us is Paul has such a value on people that are continuing on in the faith after he leaves. That in his last moments, weeks, months, that these people are still on his mind. Like he has grown to love these people so much that even when death is just on the other side of those prison doors, that they are still coming to his mind, to his heart, saying, hey, will you greet them for me? And these people here that have been writing to me, they greet you too. He isn't just so focused on his own life and and what's going on in his world that he ends up shutting everyone else out. But these gospel-centered relationships, these co-laborers in Christ are the very like being of what Paul knows that carrying out the gospel is. To have relationships with people where the gospel is present is to be sharing and living into the gospel. And so he even signs off to us um, showing the relationships that he has with these people and how important they are to him. In verse 11, um, he says, As many have left or deserted, Luke is with me. Luke is the same Luke that that writes the Gospel of Luke and writes the book of Acts as well. Um, And a lot of people have left Paul like in this intense situation. Uh, it made me think of like Jesus and his own disciples when he's being led away to the cross, like they just scatter, right? They've been walking with this guy for three years, but all of a sudden their life's on the line or imprisonment's on the line, and they're like, man, I'm out. I'm sorry. And this is same thing as reoccurred in Paul's life as well, except for Luke, who Luke, by being affiliated and associated with Paul, his life's probably in danger too. He could totally face imprisonment. Um, Other people could point out and say, hey, this guy is about the gospel too, that this Paul who has been preaching is about. We should throw him in prison along with him. Yet Luke is committed to Paul. He's committed to their relationship and he's committed to the gospel saturating their relationship that even though there's adversity, even though his life even may be on the line, he is all in with his friend Paul. Uh, Sometimes here we sing the lyrics of the song, I've decided to follow Jesus. And there's a line um, that goes, though none go with me, still I will follow. And that's like a really beautiful uh, verse. Those are some beautiful lyrics um, to say that. 
um, to, to be so focused on Jesus that you may be alone and yet still you're running towards him. But I think what the more beautiful picture that God's given to us in Scripture is together, right? It's the more beautiful picture is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing together while the rest of the city is bowing down and death is in front of them, but yet they link arms and say, no, we will not bow to your God. The more beautiful picture is John, the disciple who refers to himself as as the one that Jesus loved. Um, He's the one that we see at the cross where Jesus is crucified, where then he gets to have this moment with Jesus where Jesus says, John, will you take care of my mother? We have Jonathan in the Old Testament who, who actually sets aside even his own throne so that he can support and be alongside his friend David, who's going to become king someday, even though his own father wants David dead. And then we see Luke laying aside his own wants, his own safety to stick it out with Paul. That God has said it is good for us to be together. Nobody wants to be alone. Uh, I think that's been one of the things that I've been afraid of most in my life. Uh, one of the things that, that actually pulled me away from Jesus for a time, because um, I want to do anything I could to make sure I had people, even if it was just over a beer, right? But actually, I was still alone. When we truly commit ourselves to one another, commit our life to someone else's life, and Jesus is the one that holds everything together in that, we are not alone. It's beautiful that the picture that Scripture gives us is a body that sticks together through the ups, through the downs, that we don't just have people that bail out when it's convenient, but say, no, I'm your brother, I'm your sister. And that's what we see in Luke. And so in that, we have to ask ourselves too, am I someone that's committed to my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do I like find a way out when things get rocky, when things get tough, when it's not convenient for me? Also, do we desire to like have people co-laboring with us in the gospel? Like, Is that something we long for? Wherever ministry may be or where it might be someday, is that something that you're like, I'm going to do this? Or do you have the, the, the heart and the passion and the vision for we? could do this? And do you desire those relationships to be running alongside someone? Because that's where I've found time and time again, like even as we look at Matthew 18.20, where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there I am among them. And yes, we each who have chosen to follow Jesus have his Holy Spirit, but there is something that God has said is good and is blessed when fellow believers gather together for a like mind, a like mission, a like vision together. And that's hopefully why we do this on Sundays. Um, And maybe that's different for you to think about, that, uh, man, I've I've been the person that's in the row and check off, I went to Sunday, I went to church. I went to Sunday. I went to church. (laughs) Um, and, And then I've also been the person that I'm going to church so that I may receive what I need, whether that's a good time of worship, a good thing from the word, um, where now what I want to grow in and what I challenge us to grow in, um, that, that I want to come on a Sunday so that I can be with, pray with, pray for my brothers and sisters to continue to grow in their walk with Jesus too, that we need each other in this thing 
We don't necessarily need church. We need to be the church um, so that we continue to grow collectively in our likeness to Christ. And it would be great if that was easy to just have these awesome friendships that the gospel pours into all the time. It would be great if everybody just said, yes, from now on I am committed to you, and then nothing bad ever happened, and they lived happily ever after. That'd be so nice, but relationships are hard, and people hurt people intentionally and unintentionally. In verse 10, we see a guy named Demis, and I had to do some research on Demis because I've never uh, heard of him really before. And so Demis is someone that's been following Paul for quite a while now, Um, and, and Demis actually stuck with Paul through his first imprisonment. First time Paul went to prison, Demis is like, I'm with you. But as time has gone on now, and Paul's in prison again, something changed for Demis, whether the severity of what was going to happen to Paul or his own affiliation to Paul. All of a sudden, he got scared, and for whatever reason, he's like, I'm out, Paul. I can't do this. And and Paul even says um, that Demis, uh, because he loved the world, has deserted. And this can be translated as because he desired the comfort and the safety that the world offers. Like that is why he left, that things got too uncomfortable, got too unsafe. And so he's like, I'm sorry, I'm out. It also in that same section lists um, Cretans and Titus as people who have gone to other places, but there's no indication that they like left Paul or deserted him with malintent, that it was, it was more so that they were just called to go back to um, or go to new places where the gospel was also going out from. But really what Paul's like showing Timothy too through these examples is this once great community that I had that were, was with me, like they've kind of all gone and it's hard. Like Paul is totally addressing like the loneliness and lack of community that he feels. If a man that was so inspired, a man that, that truly took the gospel to so many peoples, if he felt this, when we feel this, we can take assurance um, especially with what Paul's going to say next, that this is normal to feel this way. It still sucks, but it's normal. Uh, And Paul's going to show us how we can run to Jesus in the midst of these feelings as well. He lists, though, in, in verse 16, at my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. This was probably some sort of thing in front of a judge where Paul, in giving his defense, it's like he comes up and then the judge is like, will anyone speak in defense for this man? And it's silent. And there's nobody there. But yet, then Paul ends that same verse with this, may it not be held against them. Even in the midst of severe betrayal and lack of support, Paul before God, asks him to not hold it against these people. Reminded me of of our Savior Jesus, some of his last words as he hung on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness is quintessential in having gospel-saturated relationships. 
even in the midst of such adversity, when wrong, wrongs have been done to us, can we before God say, I forgive them because you've forgiven me. While you were far off, you still loved me. And while they feel far off from me, I will love them. Jesus shows this by his immense grace for us and even our ugliest of sins, making forgiveness available and offered to all. And we have to carry this mentality as followers of Jesus because we will be hurt, right? We have to carry around this forgiveness in us, willing to offer it. Because for one, I need to carry it so that when others wrong me, I can say, like, before God, like, I want you to forgive them so that you can work in me to forgive them as well. But also, I, it can't be so far from me to think that I need other believers to carry that in them so that when I wrong them, when I do something that hurts them, they can say, Matt, I forgive you because my Father has forgiven me. It's really easy for me to be... Um, uh, wow, I can, the word just spaced me. Um, oh, well. Um, <laughs> it's easy for me to feel like I'm the one that's wronged and not see what I've done. Make myself the victim. There it is. It's easy to be the victim and not see in turn how you need to be forgiven as well. And as we hope to do this with one another, especially in the church, because most of these relationships Paul is listing are probably people in his church. Um, as, he, as he lists this um, and, and asks us in the same way to not hold things against other people, sometimes first we've got to ask God to help us not be the one to hold things against people. That before we could ever ask God, hey, don't hold this against them, like we have to be the ones that first say, Lord, help me to not go on in bitterness. Help me to forgive them. And I've had to do that throughout my walk, though, though it may be short with Jesus. I've had to do that where, where honestly, like before God, a lot of the time I, I would say, well, I know as a Christian I'm supposed to love them, so I'm going to continue on in that, but I wouldn't acknowledge the real feelings that were going on in my heart. And there was this pivotal moment for me where, where finally everything came crashing down. I couldn't fake it anymore. And I, I just was like, Lord, like these people, I hate them. I hate them, God. And I didn't end the prayer there, thankfully. Because the best word in the Bible that I've found is but. B-U-T. Because I said, but I know that's not your heart for them. I know you love them. And I need you to change my heart if I'm ever going to be able to stop hating and start loving. Being real with the Lord, saying what's actually going on, and then asking for his help is how that process starts and how it continues on for the rest of our life. Because forgiveness, while it happens once, we have to keep living into it also. We'll come back to Demis a little bit later because his story isn't done. Because there's another guy that's really hurt Paul, and his name is Alexander the Metal Worker in verse 14. And different from Demis, like he doesn't desert Paul, but what he does is he actually opposes the gospel message. 
And how he did this, we're not quite sure if he tried to like tarnish Paul's reputation or Paul was, was really going out to the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish descent, saying the gospel is available to you, forgiveness of sins through Jesus is available to you. Maybe this guy Alexander was trying to make it hard for the Gentiles to be able to leave, to have them go through this legalistic hoops to jump through. But we're not quite sure. Um, we do know he was, a, he was a Jewish man. He most likely had some sort of religious background. He maybe was a part of a church that Paul was a part of at some point or a community that he was a part of. Um, and, and so they've come into contact several times. But what's interesting about Paul is more than like just like laying things out, venting to Timothy, what he's, what he's most frustrated about is that what, what it's affecting most is the gospel message, not what it's like necessarily doing to him, but, but what it's affecting that God wants to do through him. And Paul trusts that God will repay or will be just in the situation concerning Alexander. He isn't vengeful or wanting to harm to come to Alexander, but ultimately he trusts that in this situation he can trust God. And I, that God will right the wrongs of this situation. And I find myself a lot of the time trying to be the one that writes the wrongs in confrontation or in situations where I've been hurt. For example, sometimes it's really easy, especially in my really spiritual way where I'm being um, open and I'm being um, transparent with someone and I'm sharing like this hard situation with them. It's really easy for me then to be a little manipulative to try to get them to be on my side in that situation. Does that sound maybe a little familiar? Or maybe uh, I, will, I will right these wrongs by staying bitter which doesn't make sense at all, but we still do it. Um, or that next time I see that person, I'll let them know that they've wronged me by being really annoyed with them. I'll right the wrongs of this situation. I'm not going to let God be the judge. I'm going to be the judge. But Paul trusts that God's going to handle this situation with Alexander. Because the way I think about it is that as brothers and sisters, we have the opportunity now to work things out. And one day, while Alexander will stand before God as judge, so will Paul. And what's better for, for God to say, Alexander, this is how you've wronged Paul. And Paul, you never worked at trying to make this right with Alexander. There was nothing you did to try to work towards reconciliation or in the situation for God to say to Paul, well done, you did as much as it's possible for you to be at peace with Alexander. Alexander, man, you messed up. I want to stand before God and hear, well done, a lot more than I hear, Matt, you tried to do this or you did that and it wasn't my way. Uh, early on when I was on staff with the high school youth group, I remember there was two staff members that always just butt heads, two guys, and um, one of them didn't want to like reconcile and work through the situation one time. And he was like, well, it's not like I'm going to be around him forever. And then another staff member chimed in and was like, well, actually, that's the goal, isn't it? Right? Sometimes we think, especially in the church, that, yeah, if I just avoid that person, avoid the situation, it'll just work itself out or I'll never have to face it again. No, like our hope is that we are in God's kingdom together forever. We will be together whether we like each other or not, and God's going to be the one to sort it out. 
But he wants to do that now. Because also as we live in peace with one another, as we show the world that God can actually reconcile our relationships, his kingdom is taking place now in that. That it is possible for God to redeem, to heal, whether it's a short process or a really long one. And even though Paul at times was very alone, um, he shows how God responded to him in verses 17 through 18. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and I will bring and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That God stood with Paul throughout the process. He never left him. He never abandoned him. He never forsake, uh, forsook him. And for us as Christians too, when we feel alone, like truly we're never alone. And God's going to be the one that works in all those things. God's the one that worked in Luke to stay committed to Paul so that Paul wasn't completely and utterly alone. That, that God, even though Paul experienced prison, that times people like tried to destroy him, tried to kill him many a time, and his physical flesh was very affected, right? Um, multiple, multiple times that that wasn't enough to destroy him. It wasn't enough to pull him away from God. It wasn't enough for him to not step into the promise that God has to enter his heavenly kingdom safely because that is where our hope needs to lie. That is where our trust and our security for perseverance needs to be set on so that we know that while this is an awesome place and not awesome place that we have here on earth and we can experience God's kingdom, it's not truly our home. We get to go home someday. And God will right all these wrongs. And something I want to end with is talking about this guy, Mark, that he refers to briefly. Um, in verse 11, uh, the second part, he tells Timothy, get Mark and bring him to me. This is the same Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. And while he wasn't one of the 12 disciples, he was really close with Peter. Um, Peter actually refers to him in one of his letters as uh, a, a son in the faith, a dear son in the faith, similar to Paul and Timothy's relationship. And it's the same Mark who's cousins with Barnabas. And, and Barnabas and uh, Paul and Mark all go on this first, first missionary trip to the, to, to the Gentiles together. And all that happens in, starting in Acts chapter 13, but where we join them in their journey is uh, Acts chapter 15, where we read in uh, verse 36 this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had a sharp disagreement, and they parted company. Mark 2, just like Demis, at one point, deserts Paul. And, and it's so harsh, and, and, it, and it, it, it costs so much that actually Barnabas and Paul, who have been friends for a long time and co-laborers in the gospel, they split ways. 
Like they have such a sharp dispute about it because Paul does not trust Mark. And yet, in verse 11, we see Paul saying, Get Mark, bring him with me because he's helpful with you because he's helpful to me in ministry. And some scholars think that Mark may have been uh, overwhelmed um, or scared um, or even uncomfortable with the gospel going out to Gentiles, similar to when we see that take place with Peter in Galatians, where um, he has a hard time seeing that happen as well, Um, that maybe that's what was going on with Mark, and that's why Paul took such offense um, to, to Mark's desertion. And we don't have the story of like how this all worked out. We don't know the details. We don't know what happened. But what we see is that there is a relationship restored. There's a relationship repaired. And I guess I don't need the details because what I know that's true is that God redeems. That God takes broken relationships. God takes broken people and he brings new life that didn't used to exist. That he takes people who are greedy and he can make them generous. That he takes deserters and he makes them loyal. That he takes those that are afraid and can make them bold all through the work of his Holy Spirit. So somewhere along the road, Mark had this face-to-face with Jesus of like, man, I have betrayed Paul. I have not been a good friend, totally convicted, and probably reached out to Paul at some point to try and reconcile. And that's great on Mark's end, but what's also really important is that Paul was ready to be in the midst of God's redemption as well. He was ready to reconcile too. He let God work on his heart. Because if Mark had just come back to him and said, like, Paul, I'm so sorry, And Paul was like, you better be sorry. I don't want to ever see you again. That wouldn't be redemption. Uh, That wouldn't even be forgiveness. But redemption is living into something that we never thought could have happened apart from God. So even in this letter, there's hope for Demas, right? It's probably why Paul doesn't want God to hold it against him. There's the same hope that even though Demas is a deserter, God's going to continue to work in him, hopefully to bring him back to himself in a place of redemption for Demas as well. And as we close, um, we, ha- we also kind of like wrap up our time in, in 2 Tim- Timothy. We kind of conclude Paul's life as well, and we have time to kind of reflect on how Paul, like Gary talked about last week, poured himself out. And he poured out all the knowledge he had. He poured out all the prayers that he had. He poured out his flesh being physically beaten at times, but he also poured himself out in the relationships that he had with people to let the gospel saturate and define those relationships. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says this, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. That life and the gospel go hand in hand in sharing, and it became a delight for Paul to share himself with people in those ways. And as Paul now has passed on the baton to Timothy to continue to run this race, fight the good fight, God in turn has passed the baton to us. Will you have relationships that are rich with the gospel? 
Will you love one another as family? Will you forgive each other? Will you seek redemption? And for those of us that have been in the church for years or even just a week, someone's probably hurt you at some point in the church, right? We have the tendency, unfortunately, for that to happen and for that to exist. And I wish this morning uh, I could promise you that you will never be hurt here at Harvest, that we're always going to love you. You're always going to be accepted. You'll never feel alone, and there will never be any misunderstandings. But unfortunately, I can't promise that because we, like every other church on the planet, we have broken people in it. I'm still broken. I hurt my wife on a weekly basis probably, and she's so good to not tell me every time I do it. And so it probably, whether it's intentional or unintentional, it is going to happen. But what if today, instead of just saying, okay, well, there's no hope then, like if, if I can never be hurt, what if today we decided together to always have hope in God's redemption for relationships, that God is the ultimate physician, the ultimate healer, that there is nothing that is impossible for God to work in, that there's hope for the marks, there's hope for the demises, that we can experience the same redemption with our own brothers and sisters as in Christ as our previous brothers and sisters did as it's recorded in the scriptures? What if we committed ourselves to one another, always putting God first and working from there? Paul signs off this letter with, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Would we know the Lord is with us in this, that we're not alone? And would we always experience his grace that he first showed to us and would we show it to our brothers and sisters as well. The band can come on up. I'm going to pray and then a couple last instructions. Jesus, we thank you that it is you that holds all things together. We thank you that you did that in Paul's life, even as he, he died for your gospel, Lord. In the situations that we face, both with one another and outside circumstances, would we see that all things are possible for you? Would we not write one another off or situations off or even ourselves, thinking it's always going to be this way? But Jesus, would we be blown away with your majesty and your grace and your power and how you are redeeming and healing everything to yourself? And would we partner with that and not miss out? on your kingdom here and now. Lord, help me love my brothers and sisters better. God, I am I'm so susceptible to just do things my way, and I want to do them your way. Help us grow as a place where people know these are followers of Jesus because of how we love. In your name, amen.